aboard this hour of Flames Talk with Aaron Vickers. My name is Pat Steinberg. Hopefully your Friday or weekend or whenever you're listening is going along nicely. Welcome to the Sports Drive, brought to you by Calgary Lock and Safe. This Christmas, give the gift of security with smart locks and safes. Visit calgarylockandsafe.com. Hello, Vicks. Patrick, how are we this fine Friday? I am doing okay. Um, Here at uh, this Rogers-owned entity... We have been on Shohei Otani watch. Uh, we, are, we are live, and, and this this hour is being recorded live on radio and uh, and for podcasts. We weren't sure if that was going to happen because we've been on Shohei Otani watch all Friday. So whenever I'll... you're listening, that's what the Friday has been like. Oh, is Otani, uh, Otani signing with the Rogers' own Toronto Blue Jays or not? And as a gift to you, I will avoid any and all puns relating to him. Please do. For the rest of this hour, it'll be a Shohei Otani free flame stock. Um, so on the heels of another comeback win for the Flames, they improved a 3-2 on this homestand, which wraps up Saturday afternoon against the New Jersey Devils, a 2 p.m. Ooh. Saturday afternoon matinee affair against the Devils. And uh, you know who plays on the New Jersey Devils? Well, Jack Hughes does, and so does Luke Hughes, and a number of other very, very good players. But also, last year's Calgary Flames leading scorer, Tyler Toffoli, is a member of the New Jersey Devils, and he will be in town for the first time as a member of the opposing team on Saturday afternoon. He had 73 points in 82 games last season, was one of the most positive stories surrounding the Calgary Flames last year, and for the first time since the trade in June, a trade that you and I witnessed being broken in the flesh when we were sitting there at Bridgestone, an almost empty Bridgestone Arena doing the show from the draft in June, we we witnessed Elliot Friedman frantically pacing and walking around, getting ready to break that trade, which he did eventually break. Tyler Toffoli from Calgary to New Jersey for a third round pick and Yegor Sharangovich. Uh, they used that third round pick on Adar Suniev a couple days later. And now Toffoli plays the Flames for the first time since the trade. And I'm I'm curious what the text line is going to say. Text lines open this hour at 969-60. I still hear how poorly the Flames did on that trade. I still hear how they got ripped off in the deal. And I don't quite get that sentiment. I'll tell you why in a second. But I'm curious now that we've had a number of months and Tyler Toffoli's played a quarter of a season with his new team and Yegor Sharangovich has played a quarter of a season with his new team. How uh, how do you look back on the Tyler Toffoli deal that was made in June? Well, first and foremost, it was really interesting to see Elliot pace back and forth on the draft floor as he was working out this deal because getting to see him at work up close and personal was one of those things you just won't forget from the draft at Nashville. And when you look at the trade from a superficial level, I don't think that there's too many people who would pick the flame side as the winner. And I get some of the pushback that you've seen on the text line on Twitter, on social media, what have you, about the Flames not winning this deal. But 
if you look at what this deal did for the Calgary Flames and dig deeper as aside from just the superficial level, that'll have people point out that Tyler DeFoley has 12 goals and 21 points in 24 games and Sharon Govich has 5 goals and 12 points in 26 games. It freed up a lot of cap space for the Calgary Flames. It removed a distraction that you were inevitably going to face. It got you younger and it nabbed you a prospect all for a player that you probably had no intention of signing a year from now at the time of that trade. So when you start to piece things together from a Calgary Flames perspective as to what would motivate them to make such a move at that time when you've got seven pending unrestricted free agents and you've got a player that's not happy, he's not near the front of the, lo- the line, mind you, um, after leading the team in goals. And points. And points. I understand the logic and the thought process from Craig Conroy and the Calgary Flames on it. So here is where I am. This is what, look, I, I uh, don't ever proclaim wins and losses on trades immediately or even six months later. We're a little less than six months removed from this deal be- being made. But um, this, is why, this is why I push back on the Flames, the, the whole idea, because, you know, I'll, I'll just throw a couple of callers on Flames Talk postgame um, who have brought this up. Tony is the one. Tony, I love when he calls. Uh, he and I get into some really fun conversations. We're usually on different sides of the opinion. Um, but his idea is uh, that, that was a big L for the Flames. Like Craig Conroy got completely fleeced in that trade. Then he got fleeced in the Zadorov trade. All he does is get fleeced in trades. And so this is why I push back on the Flames got robbed or the Flames got ripped off because, first of all, Yegor Sharangovich, who is significantly younger, what, six years younger than Toffoli. Yep. And Sharangovich has really started to settle in over the last month plus with his new team and has been one of their better players and has been one of their more important players, has, has really helped in a lot of different areas over the last month. Like, he's not putting up huge numbers, I grant you that, but Sharangovich seems like he's settling into his new role. Uh, the third-round pick turned into a prospect that – you know, you ask Craig Conroy, the Flames are elated about. They were pumped when uh, Adar Suniev was still on the board and they were able to select him with that additional third-round pick. And let's not forget a few other things that need to be taken into account when talking about the Tyler Toffoli trade from June as well. Toffoli wanted a seven-year extension. And then when that was not on the table, requested a trade. So, you know... When it's very similar to the Nikita Zadorov situation, I wasn't offered a contract. Toffoli said the same thing back in June. I wasn't offered a contract, and there was a, and instead requested a trade. Well, wasn't offered a contract, and this is not trying to throw shade at any either side. But Toffoli's camp wanted a seven-year deal. The Flames weren't willing to offer a seven-year deal. They were willing to offer something shorter term. The player was looking for that long-term home run contract and the Flames weren't willing to go down that road. Understandably, on both sides, Flames understandably weren't willing to give seven years to a 30-31 year old forward and Tyler Toffoli understandably wanted a home run contract coming off the best year of his career. But Toffoli wanted a seven-year contract. Toffoli then asked to be traded. Toffoli's a 30-plus-year-old pending unrestricted free agent. He still has not signed with his new team, the New Jersey Devils. He remains a pending unrestricted free agent. And the last part for me is that 
there were a lot of other trades for similarly aged players who were going into the final year of contracts at the draft, and the Flames got more than any of those other deals did for the team trading away that player. So I look at it and say, I, I don't understand the hatred on it. The, the idea that the Flames are going to get a first-round pick for Toffoli, or they were going to get a prospect or a player like Dawson Mercer, who I have, oh. have seen throw. Well, why didn't they get Mercer? Because really? that that would never have been realistic. Th- those things were not in the cards. For what the deal was, they've gotten a pretty decent player in Sharon Govich who is signed under team control and five, six years younger. They got the additional pick. I don't understand the the hatred of that Toffoli deal. Well, I've seen it, and it's prior to the start of the season, but in conversations surrounding signing Elias Lindholm, I've seen a lot of pushback on the text line on social media about This is just another player that's going to be tying up a long-term contract into their mid-30s. And I can't imagine Flames fans who've been screaming about getting younger and not screaming about giving getting younger, pardon me, and not giving aging vets long-term contracts would have loved to see a seven-year deal for Tyler DeFoy. That would take him into 38, 39 age range. And that is something that if you're not willing to sign a 29-year-old to a long-term contract? How are you going to feel about a guy that's going to ride it out till 38, 39 in Tyler Toffoli, who, if somebody wants to give him that contract, all the power to them and all the power to Tyler Toffoli. But to me, that strikes me as a contract, as good as his shot is, strikes me as a contract that wouldn't age well for the Calgary Flames had they gone down that no, road. No, agreed. And, and, and that's not to say that Toffoli shouldn't try to get that. And maybe in another market, he'd be more willing to sign a shorter-term deal. But where the Flames were at that point with a major pivot and Craig Conroy looking at the team and saying, I, I got I to gotta be really smart about the way I go about my business here. And we've already got Uyghur and Huberdo and Kadri locked up to long-term deals. Them not, them not being okay with a seven-year deal for a player like Toffoli is okay. They were well within their rights not to be interested in that. And on the other hand, if Toffoli was looking at him and saying, yeah, I'll stay in Calgary, but I need this, all the power to him. He's well within his rights in that respect as well. I guess, long story short, before we hit the text line on this topic, I don't think it was an L. I really don't. And and I think it was very similar to the Zadorov trade where there's all this speculation about – online, you know, Twitter and, and Instagram and, and different fan accounts. And, well, could the Flames get asset X and player X for Toffoli? And then they got that? Well, no, I, I saw that they might have gotten that. It it turns into a situation where the speculation creates an unrealistic market that didn't exist. Like the market itself didn't actually reflect what was happening online. So, yeah, could they get a first in Dawson Mercer for Tyler Toffoli? Of course they couldn't, but if one fan account says, what if they got this? And then all of a sudden that's seen by a bunch of other people. It's like, oh, that would be awesome. And then they don't get that. It's like, well, it's not really how trades work in the NHL. So again, uh, we'll hit the text line in just a second, but I, I think that they did pretty well on that trade. And I do still understand the angst because Tyler Toffoli is setting, sitting at 12 goals. Sharon Govich has five Blake Coleman and Elias Lindholm share the team lead at seven right now, but through 26 games last year with Tyler DeFoley, the Flames averaged 3.08 goals per game. Through 26 games this year, they've averaged 2.92. That's a difference of four goals over 26 games to date. So a lot of the question was, well, where's all this scoring going to come from if you're not bringing back DeFoley? The Calgary Flames, by committee, 
have managed to fill that hole. On the text line at 960-960, uh, Wedley asks, why didn't the Flames get Nemich or Hughes for Tafoli? Oh. It's a good point. You know what? If that was why on the table, they, they would have, you know, or, or both. Why not both? Put them together. Uh, bottom line is the Flames didn't offer Tafoli a contract, and they should have. Not uh, a seven-year contract, and that's all his camp was looking for. Sorry, that's the straight-up truth. They were looking, much like Zadorov, they were looking for long-term, and that was what they were looking for from the Flames. And the Flames weren't willing to offer that, so both sides moved on. From a team standpoint, I would have been willing to go two or three, and I would understand Tavoli's camp going, no thank you. And from Tavoli's camp, I would want four or five-plus trying to cash in on what it is going to be most likely his final big payday of his NHL career. Uh, this reads... Sharon Govich is a major reason why the PK is so good. His play on the boards and the pass to Coleman on last night's game winner only further proves that point. Sharon Govich is an investment. Uh, this from Mike and Thorncliffe says the Flames did a great, did great, a current roster player and a good prospect. It also helped him avoid a terrible re-signing situation for a player in his 30s. And finally from Taylor, I agreed with your take on the trade following the game Thursday night. Too early to tell, and they would have overpaid for a Toffoli extension. Yeah, it sucked losing him, but you got a solid piece back, which you signed, and a draft pick. There you go at 960-960 on the Toffoli trade. It's Steinberg and Vickers along with you on this hour of Flames talk. Don't have to spend a ton of time on this particular topic because we've spent so much time on it over the last number of uh, days and weeks, but another comeback win. And I got to be honest with you, of the six third period comeback wins the Flames have so far this season, which is tied for the NHL lead, this was maybe the one I saw coming least. Yeah. And, and it's not even because I thought the Flames played poorly against Carolina. I just thought Carolina being the, the, the high opinion I have of the Hurricanes and what they are, and knowing what the, had happened the night prior in Edmonton, and knowing they had a 2-0 lead after 40, I thought Carolina was very much in control, and I just felt like it was going to be difficult for the Flames to pull off some of that magic on, on this night. I thought the Flames were fine. I didn't think they were great. I thought they were two kind of fits and starts. But I thought a big reason why the Flames didn't look super strong through 40 was because of what Carolina was doing. The Hurricanes played a really solid game through 40 minutes of play. And they had a couple of uh, sifters, I believe is what Dylan Dubé called them, uh, after practice on Friday. But they had a 2-0 lead. Carolina kind of had controlled the territorial play to that point. They seemed to be in control. Flames weren't bad. They had actually generated some quality opportunities in those fits and starts. I thought Kadri was playing really well. I thought Coleman had, was having a great game through 40. But I just kind of felt like, yeah, this is a good Carolina team. They know what happened the night prior in Edmonton. They're yeah. going to find a way to lock this thing down. And then they didn't. And credit on the Flames for not letting him. Uh, they got the bounce that got him going. Uh, and then Rasmus Anderson made sure he converted on that bounce. And then they were rolling. 81 seconds later at Zary. A few minutes later, you think, oh, geez, well, Carolina now in the power play, first power play of the game. They got their opportunity to take the lead. Eh, it's back in the, uh, the other way, and Coleman scores the game winner. Um, I saw it coming the least, but that doesn't mean that they didn't deserve the win. That doesn't mean that they weren't full marks on the comeback. I, I salute them, and I, I thought – Blake Coleman, who scored the game winner, summed it up best when he spoke post game on Thursday night. I just, I felt that it just feels like Blake's take on the whole thing is is really, I don't know, it's it's a really mature and kind of two hundred foot view of the whole thing. Basically, a win's a win is what Coleman's saying here. 
flames recipe right there it's just the way it's going but uh yeah you know i'm really proud of the group and the way our guys stick with it um another game where it could have been easy to just let that one uh slip away from us and and go into a three three game skid and guys stuck with it and fought back and we're doing everything we can to to start better and guys are searching for ways to to do it but at the end of the day it's it's a results business and it's a it's a win column game for us so important I just like that um I just like that way of looking at it you know in that yeah we don't want to be in this situation and we, yeah we obviously we're, we're trying to come out to better starts we don't want to get scored on every game but we're we, we still got the win and we need wins. So it just, I don't know. There's something about the way Blake Coleman presents things that when he says something, it just hits a little differently. And I just came away. I listened to that when we played it on the post game show Thursday, listened to it again, uh, getting ready for this show. And I was like, yeah, like he's right. We need wins. So wins a wins a win. And they need them right now. So do they need to find ways to play with the lead more? Absolutely. Do they need to be in a situation where they aren't constantly chasing and constantly needing third period comebacks? Yep, absolutely. Is it bad that they're these are how they were they're winning games? Well, no, there's still wins. You still need to win games like that. He had another beauty line in that availability that I'll just read out, and it won't translate near as well, not in Blake Coleman's voice, but he said, there's only two ways to win in this league, and we've got one of them down pretty dang well, so if we can figure out the other half, we're going to be in good shape. And that one made me chuckle, but he's absolutely right, and the Calgary Flames lead the NHL with five wins when trailing after 40 minutes, so that's one piece of the comeback puzzle. It doesn't take into consideration when leading after one or going into the third tide and then falling behind. But the Calgary Flames are just, you know, there's some questions over the course of the past couple of games when they weren't able to manufacture those comebacks after being so good and having seven wins when trailing at, at any point in a game in November. And so the question was, is okay, have they run out of luck? Have they run out of mojo? Well, clearly not. They've still got some in them, but at the same time, Man, it sure would be preferential if the Calgary Flames went into the third period with the lead and, and locked it down that way as opposed to always having to chase. Yeah. Hey, I'll say this. They're fun games to watch when that happens. That was a fun third period. Yeah, and, and to your point, that was one I didn't necessarily see coming through, through as well because after 40 minutes, there weren't a lot of great A's for the Calgary Flames, and I really thought the Carolina Hurricanes, after getting embarrassed up in Edmonton the night before, would have found a way to lock it down or even put the gas pedal down and pile on one, two, three more, make a statement out of the Calgary Flames after losing 6-1 to the Edmonton Oilers. That yeah. didn't happen. And boy, was their coach just as mad after losing to the Flames. Okay, so I, I so so how was uh how was Roddy's uh postgame? You had an opportunity to hear well it? We've got a lot of guys that aren't pulling their weight. We have some guys working hard every night, contributing, doing what they do, but there's a lot of others that need to look in the mirror. And that's coming off the heels of a 6-1 drubbing on the second of back-to-backs after your coach had previously said 24 hours earlier that they were going to lose 50 to nothing or 15, depending on which side of that debate you were on. Yeah. Not great. Not great to have your coach come out two nights in a row and absolutely steamroll your players. I, it, it is and, interesting. And justifiably so. It is interesting to hear some of the players talk about this. You know, hearing um, 
Elias Lindholm after practice, hearing a couple guys post-game on Thursday talk about how, yeah, we kind of got, like, they kind of started to look tired late in the second. And, like, Connor Zary told me post-game live, he's like, yeah, we saw them starting to lag a little bit, and we went into the second intermission saying, let's crank up our speed game because we've got the legs and they don't. I just, I haven't heard so many guys admit that openly they went say. out of their way to try to take advantage of a you know maybe a little uh, a little fatigued opponent in the third period which sometimes can show up on the second half of back to back well and but i was wondering because to that point the the carolina hurricanes were never in that game against the edmonton oilers they're down three yeah. rip five minutes into yeah. the game how fatigued so as a, were they? as a coach you're rolling four lines in six d you're not you're not trying to like it, they were nowhere close they weren't even playing the same game as the edmonton oilers and so you're evening out the line or the ice time, pardon me, and you're just getting ready for the next night against the Calgary Flames because you're expecting your team to bounce back. And through 35, 40 minutes, I thought the Carolina Hurricanes did. But as Elias Lindholm, as Connor Zary said, they sent something in Carolina and took advantage. Yeah. And good on them. That's six comeback wins this season when trailing after 40 minutes of play. And they're now back within a game of the 500 mark and have an opportunity to make it a guaranteed winning homestand when they play New Jersey on Saturday. It's Steinberg and Vickers along with you on uh, this. What today? What day is today? Today is a Friday, Friday. edition <gasps> of Flamestock. Yes, it is Friday. Uh, let's go inside hockey for Calgary Co-op. This hockey season, support local. Find your all-time classics and locally brewed beers. Visit your local Calgary Co-op wine, spirits, beer today. Boy, did I think Mackenzie Weger had himself a hell of a game against uh, against Carolina. Another five shots on goal, another six shot attempts, another assist. So he now leads the team in five on five shots with 58, five on five shot attempts with 121. When you count in special teams, he's second to Nazem Kadri in both of those categories. He just, he has been an impact maker on this team and is really coming into his own as a member of the Flames. It's hard not to appreciate what you're seeing from Mackenzie Weger this season. He's been a really important part of this team. Yeah, it's hard to figure out which defenseman has been the best, to be perfectly honest with you, between he, Rasmus Anderson, and Noah Hannafin, because I think at different points you could make arguments for different players, but he is a much different player year-to-date this season than he was last year, getting acclimatized to Calgary, both on and off the ice after what was probably a jarring trade in the summer. And he's really taken that momentum from the second half of the season, the post-Christmas half of the season last year, his world championship experience, and it's just parlayed straight into what's been a dynamite year for him. He's not too far off some career highs. Had a chance to uh, chat with Mackenzie Weger about those things, and and maybe by the end, maybe some immaculate vibes. Uh, had a chance to chat with Mackenzie after practice Friday. just wanted to ask about your shooting mentality this year. I think uh, you lead the team in five-on-five attempts. I think you're second overall. So have you, uh, has that been a concerted effort? Is that something that you entered the season really focused on? Yeah. Um, you know, it kind of bothered me that it took me so long to get my goal at New Year's last year. And I kind of just took pride in, you know, focusing on my shot this summer and trying to find lanes and 
Uh, I think it also helps, you know, being with Ras. He's kind of feeding me one-timers a lot at the point. But um, even when I'm just walking the line, I, I think I have my head up a little bit more. And I'm not sort of looking at the ground. I'm, I'm looking at the net and just trying to find lanes. But um, definitely something I, I wanted to focus on through the summer. And uh, it's sort of paying off right now. So you, you, you can, can you feel it out there that it's, it's happening on a more regular basis? Yeah. I mean, you, I, everybody jokes around, you know, like the muffin shot and stuff like that but um for me it's i don't i mean if it's hard it's great but for me if it gets there it's that's the most important thing and you know you look at the nhl now and a lot of teams take pride in blocking shots and getting in shot lanes and usually if you you miss a block shot you know good things are happening for the other team and uh you know you're breaking down coverage or you know getting a tip on net or if it's a good screen it goes right in so um definitely a a, a part of my game i want to keep going so when they, because you've talked about that before, calling you the muffin man, yeah. but they're not always they're not always muffins. You can still get it away, yeah. right? Uh, I think maybe once in a while I can I can maybe get it in the ninety plus, but um, yeah, I don't really know how fast they are. Honestly, it feels like they're hard, but um, no matter if it's harder or if it's slow, um, I'm getting cheered for the muffin man for sure. One of the one of the things that a couple of coaches have talked about is you playing on your offside and and being able to maybe be a little more pointed to the middle. Has is that has that helped? at all in in terms of getting more towards the net yeah absolutely i think I, the only, I guess the tough part would be just handling it on my backhand at first and then bringing it to my forehand and sometimes you know i can if a forward's giving me pressure i can't really get to my forehand but um you know that's something i've worked on too in the summertime was getting it on my backhand and walking the walking as fast as i can in the middle and um that's huge in the NHL. You got to be able to walk that blue line, and you can ask any young prospect or even the older guys now. You get taught that at a young age to walk that blue line as fast as you can, and um, sort of, you know, what I, what I've been focusing on a lot. Is it? help taking passes from Raz you talked about the one timer yeah. being on being on your offside yeah Raz is you know Raz has a lot of poise um, you know he's great with the puck he sees the game so well and um, you know if I saw Raz, if I was on playing the right side and I saw Raz opening up for one tee I think it, it's a pretty good option you know a one tee is a great shot and Raz gets the puck and you know I want him to shoot more too he can get a shot off whenever he'd like but if he can walk that line and maybe make a make a forward make a tough decision and slide it over to me and um, you know it's been working it'd be nice to get a clean one tee and, and score for him off one but you know if we're getting pucks to the net and our OT t- ozone time goes up you know we're feeling the game well we have confidence uh, we're starting to work it and that's what we want as a, as a as a partnership overall as a defense group how much of a increased focus has that been this year oh it's been huge for us i think you look down the line uh everybody's sort of contributing obviously hanny and uh myself and ras and z was was part of it too and tanny but we're all just trying to contribute and we want to be threats out there we don't want to be just you know at the point you know passing around we want we want other teams to know that we're threats up top and we're getting pucks to the net and they they better focus and bear down on us because uh you know we want to be that elite decor that you know we, we know we can be and um, you know we've been a, a good job contributing offensively but I th- still think there's we can be better defensively and um, you know but the offense is clicking right now and that's good okay last question and, and our text line on the show is always asking what what uh, what makes it when vibes are immaculate how, how do we know when vibes are immaculate uh, you know vibes are usually always immaculate after wins but I don't know I I if the vibes are truly immaculate, it's a nice, it's nice and sunny outside. I got a great coffee. I'm feeling nice, um, skating well. The boys are having a good time, and we get the win, and, and maybe we can go have a couple beers after. That's when the vibes are truly immaculate. <laughs> See that? 
That is a perfect description. Dude shooting it a ton. He leads the team in five-on-five shots and shot attempts. He's on pace for some career numbers offensively. And we now have a perfect description, Cam, of when vibes are immaculate. Vibes are immaculate, and it doesn't get much better than this. So now we know what makes it so vibes are immaculate. It's a big win. That's a big win to now know exactly when you can hit that green check mark. I uh, I'm surprised you admit. Like sometimes players can be guarded, and I thought maybe that that might be an internal thing. You don't necessarily want to tip your hand too much, but you know, sun shining. You got your coffee. The boys are feeling it. Skating maybe well, go crush pick a couple up the beers, win, at the end. and then you get to have a couple beers at the end of the night. I like it. Uh, that's uh, Mackenzie Weger. On top of all of, in top of the fun, on top of the fun part of the end, some really uh, interesting stuff about his shot mentality coming into this season, and boy, has it paid off so far. Uh, thanks to Mackenzie for that from earlier on this Friday. Thought we'd uh, wrap up before we hit the roundtable with that. That's our look inside hockey for Calgary Co-op. Let's go local Calgary from best from the West Canadian produce to quality only Alberta meats. Find your local at Calgary Co-op shop online or in store today. This is Flamestock. Join the conversation at 960-960. Sportsnet 960 The Fan. All right, let's dive in on the Daily Flames roundtable on this Friday. Brought to you by Mercedes-Benz Country Hills. The GLC 300 formatic coupe is built for winter. Loyalty lease rate of 3.99% on a 48-month lease. Zero down for $1,099 a month. No payments until 2024. Steinberg, Aaron Vickers, and now the voice of the Flames, Derek Wills, to complete our Daily Flames roundtable on this Friday. Uh, Gents, let's start with goaltending. I thought Dustin Wolf was strong. Picking up his second career NHL win in Thursday's 3-2 comeback win over Carolina. But now we don't know for sure and won't know until about 1.30 p.m. on Saturday afternoon prior to the game against the Devils. But sure is trending towards Dan Vladar getting the start after Dustin Wolf had a really strong game. And we talked about this, Wilsey, on the postgame show Thursday. Dix and I talked about it ad nauseum on Thursday's PM Flames Talk. What do we think if they if they do indeed go to Vladar as it looks to be trending? Uh, what do we think of that potential decision? Well, I was a little bit surprised they didn't go back to Vladar last night. It worked out pretty well for the Flames because I thought Wolf played really well in their 3-2 come-from-behind victory over the Hurricanes. So, so uh, I wouldn't say I'm shocked that it looks like they're leaning in Vladar's direction tomorrow. Uh, I'm not sure what their messaging to him was after they made the decision to go to Wolf for last night's game, but maybe it was, hey, uh, this isn't on you. This isn't about how you played. Uh, This isn't about you getting pulled a minute and a half into the second period the other night. This is uh, just how we want to go about our business. And uh, maybe this was the, the scheduled plan. And when you look ahead to what the Flames have coming up after they wrap up their season long six game homestand tomorrow, you've got, uh, A few road games, including a tough back-to-back that starts in Denver on Monday and continues in Vegas on Tuesday. So I I don't think we're going to have to wait any longer than Tuesday to see Dustin Wolf get another game. And and again, that's if Dan Vladar does get the start. Uh, I have thought that maybe this could be some gamesmanship. Uh, You force your opponent tomorrow, the Devils, to prepare for both goaltenders. There's not a huge book on Dustin Wolf right now because he's played in 
four career NHL games. Uh, so force your opponent to prepare for both guys. And uh, you've got a 1A and a 1B right now. So we'll see what direction they decide to go in tomorrow afternoon. I'm not totally unlike you, Wilsey. It seems like I'm on the opposite page of whatever the coaching staff and the goaltending staff has planned. Because on Thursday, I would have went back to Vladar with the caveat that they hadn't already laid out a plan for the first two games. So if they had decided on Monday or what, what have you, that they were going to go Vladar, then Wolf, then I'm okay with going to Wolf the second part of the or the second game, pardon me. But heading into Saturday, after the performance from Dustin Wolf on Thursday, I would have went right back to Wolf. Now, if they had told Vladar after the pull on Tuesday that he'd be getting Saturday's game, I understand going back to Vladar. And I'm not sitting here going, I can't believe they're going back to Dan Vladar because I thought he was strong in the 21 and a half minutes he played. And I'm like you, I think his pull in that game was more a, a mercy pull or an indictment on the guys in front of him right. than the goaltender himself. But just watching Wolf on Thursday and the performance he turned in, I think he would have the opportunity to continue to build his confidence. I thought he was unflappable. Both goals were tipped, so to a degree, I'm not faulting him on, on either of the goals. And he was calm and poised or whatever adjective you want to want to name. I would be going back to Dustin Wolf. But again, this is the caveat that I had when they went to Wolf instead of Vladar, if they've already laid out a little bit of a game plan and have told the goalies, this is how we're going to operate, then I'm fine with going back to Vladar. Um, I, I get having a plan and I, I actually, um, it's impressive that they, if that is the way they're going to go, that they're sticking with the plan. And, and I actually commend them for not riding the waves type of thing. Saying all that, I, I was, First of all, I think they should go to Wolf again. I just think you need wins. I think that you need to get yourself above 500, and you need to put the goalie in who gives you the best opportunity to win every single night. And with no indictment on Dan Vladar and the way he played on Tuesday against Minnesota, Wolf just won the most recent game and looked very good in winning the most recent game. And so... To me, I would yeah, you know, and 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 message it to Dan in a certain way, but going back to Dustin and then make your decision after Saturday's game for Monday's uh, Monday's Colorado game or the Monday Tuesday back to back, and you know make your decision from there. That's how I would have done it. Um, and yet, in saying that, I commend Ryan Huska and and Jason LaBarbera and that coaching staff for for not riding the waves and saying, no, no, we've got a plan and we're going to stick with our plan. Like that is, I can't imagine that is easy to do, especially knowing the situation the Flames are in right now and knowing the how important every win and loss feels from the outside. So I can't imagine how, how that feels on the inside. So yeah, I kind of, I thought they were going to go back to Wolf. I really did. I know I would have gone back to Wolf if I was in that chair. And yet I do think it's pretty impressive that if you have a plan, you're going to stick to that plan, regardless of what the outside thinks, which I think is easy, but also regardless of kind of the ebbs and flows of the, the small picture of a season. So yeah, it's, it's, it's an interesting conversation, Wilsey. Here's the other thing to consider. So if they are considering Dan Vladar to be their number one goaltender, and Dustin Wolf to be their number two goaltender, or Vladar 1A and Wolf 1B while Jacob Markstrom is out. Let's travel back in time. So let's say it's a practice day before a game. What net would Jacob Markstrom be in, even if Dan Vladar was getting the start the next day? 
usually the number one? Like yeah, usually yeah. the home net? Yeah, he would be in the net to our left, which is where Dan Glarar was today. So maybe we're reading too much into who was in what net on a non-game day. If this was a game day and this was a morning skate, yeah, you'd Glarar know for was sure. in the home net, then yeah, that's a, a really strong indication that he's going to get the start. But this is a practice day. So if they're considering Vladar as their number one guy and Wolf as their number two guy, which they probably should be because Vladar has been the, the organization's number two goaltender for three seasons and Wolf's been their number three. So with your number one guy out, that's the pecking order, whether people like it or not. So maybe we're reading too much into this uh, and Ryan Huska wouldn't confirm one way or the other who was getting the start on Saturday afternoon against the Devils. I think you can make strong arguments both ways because uh, I think Dan Vladar did his best to give the Flames an opportunity to win the hockey game on Tuesday night. You know, he only gave up one goal in the first period, probably uh, should have been three or four goal goals behind through 20 minutes, and, and they weren't. Now, he did give up two in the first 90 seconds of the second period before getting replaced by Wolf in that hockey game. So uh, maybe the messaging to him at that time was, we're going to get you back in before the end of the week, before the end of the homestand. We don't know. But on the flip side, Wolf played really well last night. And post-game, I said, I would go back to him. But then again, post-game on Tuesday, I said I would go to Vladar. So a lot like you, Aaron, I've kind of been wrong in, uh, in guessing if they yeah. do indeed go to Vladar tomorrow. So uh, we'll have to wait and see how it all plays out. But uh, they've got us guessing. So I think that means they've got the devil's guessing as well. I was going to say, that's a credit to Ryan Huska for giving us a little bit of fodder to debate here. Because your point about, okay, well, what net would Jacob Markstrom be in? in any given practice day, you, you're kind of right there. So you don't know until you know, and we won't find out till tomorrow. Yeah, and the other interesting thing, too, is that Dustin Wolf is accustomed to playing in matinee games. So I wonder if, you know, it's a check mark uh, uh, under him for tomorrow's 2 o'clock start uh, versus the Devils. Maybe it is, maybe yeah. it isn't. Uh, we'll find out about, uh, what, 120? 130? 130-ish, yeah, on Saturday afternoon. It just, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll see. I'm curious to see how it all plays out for Saturday's game. I know I would go with Wolf, but we'll see what the Flames uh, decide to end up doing against New Jersey and, uh, you know, what I would do. I really, really hope the Flames don't take a single shred of what I would do into their decision-making. I, I know that they don't, so that's good news. <laughs> uh, Derek, Aaron, Pat, Daily Flames Roundtable. Gents, um... Where would the Flames be this year without Blake Coleman and the way that he's playing and the way that he's played? Well, they wouldn't have as good a record as they do. And I know their record isn't uh, where they want it to be or probably expected it to be, but he has been one of their best players. And we talked last week on uh, an edition of the Daily Calgary Flames Roundtable on Flames Talk about, okay, who's the Flames' best player been this season? And... I wouldn't say it was a heated debate, but I thought it was uh, a really interesting debate because you know, I had three or four names. And by the end of our conversation, I think you guys had me convinced that you know, maybe the guy who I picked, what, who was Blake Coleman, uh, wasn't necessarily the right choice. But then again, maybe not the wrong choice either, uh, because you know, Nelson Kadri has been excellent and, and Jacob Markstrom, especially in the month of October when the team was really struggling in front of them. You know, he kept them in a lot of hockey games and gave them a chance to win or to at least pick up a point. So, you know, for me, Blake Coleman has been arguably the Flames' most consistent performer this season. And normally, when a team has a clear kind of pecking order when it comes to the lines, 
he would be playing on the wing of what even last season we would have considered to be the third line with Michael Backlund and whoever. But some nights the Flames treat the Backlund line like it's their number one line. Other nights it's the Kadri line. Other nights it's the Lindholm line. So really the Flames have a top nine and, and it's way harder to number their lines this season outside of the fourth line than it has been for a number of seasons, maybe in my 10 seasons, calling their games. So, you know, Blake Coleman's been terrific. Uh, he's tied for the team leading goals with seven. He leads the team in plus minus, which I think speaks volumes when you consider the fact that him and Michael Backlund as a duo and whoever's playing wing with them right now, it's Jonathan Huberto. They're getting a lot of defensive zone starts. Uh, usually they're going head to head against the other team's top offensive players and they have to do a lot of heavy lifting. So the fact that Coleman leads the team in plus minus says something about how good he's been this season. So it's good to see him get rewarded. And, and as Ryan Huska told us today when we had a chance to chat with him, he has really emerged as a leader, both on the ice and off the ice this season. And how do you not take a guy like Blake Coleman seriously? He won two Stanley Cups as a member of the Lightning, playing on what I think was the best third line in the NHL for a couple of years. He comes to Calgary, brings that championship experience with him, and you know gets a, a fairly large contract, but one that I think he's lived up to. And, and this year, I think he's playing, if not the best hockey of his career. I asked him about that yesterday, and he said, I don't know if it's the best of my career, but probably uh, the best since I came to Calgary. And, and he's on pace to have a career year as far as goals and points go. So he's been excellent. Has he been their best player? Maybe, maybe not, but he's certainly been one of their best players. I don't think you can argue that. Yeah, I definitely want to reiterate that. I think this is the best we've seen him play in a Flames uniform. And you mentioned all the the heavy lifting that he does. There's no questioning what he means to that locker room. There's no questioning what he means to the head coach and the coaching staff in terms of deployment alongside Michael Backlund. And just to even roll it back a little bit further and credit to Danny Austin of post media, cause I'm completely stealing his idea here, but in the calendar year, 2023 to date, no player on the Calgary flames has scored more goals than Blake Coleman. He leads clearly in terms of even strength goals for the calendar year. And he's second only to Michael Backlund and plus minus. So even if you want to park all the intangibles, whether it's leadership, whether it's being the guy to step up in the locker room to speak up in tough times, whether it's addressing the media. And we know he's uh, one half of the reigning good guy award. If I'm not mistaken, the Peter Mar good guy award. He's also been one of their most productive players. And I think it speaks volumes about the kind of hockey he's played over the course of the last calendar year. Yeah. I just, I mean, the way that he's played the offense, like he's been able to up his offensive impact that much more this season because he's healthy, because he's feeling healthier. I just, I just think of some of the big moments that Blake Coleman's been a part of. I, I think of, for instance, Thursday's big goal that he scored, uh, the game winner, the impact that he's had on Calgary's penalty kill, uh, the fact that it's funny, uh, you'll hear it on Saturday's coaches show if you listen live on the pregame show, but you know Ryan Huska told us that he, he can count on one finger the amount of games that he's been poor and he pinpointed. He's like, he was horrible against Montreal. And that's the, and, <laughs> that and was it game was, one with Huberto on that line, right? With yeah, it was, it was, it was the two, one win. And, and he's like that he was, he was really bad that night. And, and he kind of laughed about it because 
Blake said the same thing. He's like, I was awful that night. But that's that's like the, it's so glaring because it's the only game that he has played poorly in. You know what you're getting from Coleman every single night. You know that he is going to be on the attack. You know that he's going to drive the plane north. You know that he and Michael Backlund are going to do their job strongly on the defensive side of things. And now what you're seeing on the offensive side, you also know that if you need a big goal or a big play or or there needs to be some offensive contribution, Blake's going to be one of the guys who does it. And and what we're seeing right now, and this just came to my mind as I was as we were talking through it, because I was listening to when did you chat with him pregame? Was it Thursday or Tuesday, Wilsey? Thursday. So okay, so it was Thursday's game. So I was I was listening to Blake uh, pregame prior to the game against Carolina, and you know he talked. To, you asked him about you know do you want the team to rebuild or not? And basically what he said was you know I'm getting a little bit older, and and obviously you want to win, and you don't have any uh, you don't you only have so many more opportunities to win, so on and so forth. And it's funny because now that he is kind of into the straddling halfway through his contract with the Flames, and he is now well into his 30s at the age of 32. Something that came to my mind when there was this, when they made the signing going into the 21-22 season, and he signed with the Flames after those two cups, a lot of people were saying, how can you sign a guy at X age to this contract? This will be bad for the Flames. And one of my rebuttals or one of my kind of devil's advocate points was, yeah, but he hasn't played a ton of NHL hockey prior. He does not have the same amount. Like when Noah Hannafin gets to the age of 32, he's going to have 2,000 games under his belt because he's been playing <laughs> since he's 12. Obviously, I'm, I'm, I'm exaggerating on both ends. But Noah's been playing in 82 games a year since he's 18. Blake Coleman took a longer and more winding road to the NHL. He played college, and then he played American League, and it took a little while for him to break in with New Jersey. And then there was some COVID years that that took away games from him. So his games played at the age of 32 is very different than a lot of other 32-year-olds who have been in the NHL. And I just wonder if, if that's helping him a little bit too, that he doesn't have, say, the same type of wear and tear that other guys have on their body. It's just a long way of saying He's playing the best hockey that he's played as a member of the Flames in year three of his deal when he's well into his 30s, and, and I just think he deserves some credit for that as well. And the game is faster now than it's ever been, so I believe that guys who can skate will age better. And Blake Coleman's always been a strong skater, so I think you make a really good point, Pat, about you know him getting to the league a little bit later. He, he's still 10 games away from 500 in the NHL, so... I think he's got a lot of tread on his tires and he's got a, a pretty big engine under the hood as well. So he, he's been excellent. He's on pace for 22 goals, which would equal his career high and 47 points, which would be nine more than he had last season when he established a new career high. And you know, I think about uh, the last few years for Blake Coleman, uh, a lot of wear and tear because we talked about uh, him doing a lot of heavy lifting, playing in a line with Michael Backlund as a member of the Flames. Well, you know, he played with uh, Yanni Gordon, Barclay Goodrow with the Lightning, and that line did a lot of heavy lifting. That was their energy line, winning a couple of Stanley Cups. And I know that uh, it was during the pandemic and there were shortened seasons, but you know, a couple of long playoff runs can, can take a lot out of a guy who plays like Blake Coleman. So between those two seasons with the Lightning and then his first season with the Flames, where the team went to the second round of the playoffs, some pretty short off seasons. So the fact that he got a full off season and is probably mentally and physically feeling better now than he has in at least a few years, I think it's uh, it's 
some of the reasons why he's having such a strong season, but uh, a team that has struggled to, to be consistent throughout this, this start to the season, he's been as consistent player as they have, and, and kudos to him. Willsie, you stole my goal and point pro rates, so I'm a little upset at you right now, but I will just add this element where 44, or pardon me, 47 points would be his highest individual point season since 2010-11 with the Indiana Ice of the United States Hockey League. He's having a heck of a year. Yep. Wow. Uh, thank you, Willsie. We'll see you Saturday afternoon at the Dome. Good stuff. Okay, have a good weekend, everybody. He's Derek Wills. He's Aaron Vickers. My name is Pat Steinberg. There's your Daily Flames Roundtable brought to you by Mercedes-Benz Country Hills. The GLC 300 formatic coupe is built for winter. Loyalty lease rate of 3.99% on a 48-month lease. Zero down for $1,099 a month. No payments until 2024. Thanks to Cam and Taylor, our producers this hour. And thanks to Vicks. Aaron Vickers on Twitter at AA Vickers. If you want to follow along for... Uh, Everything that is going through Vickers' head. Um, Careful. Good week. Thanks, buddy. Have a great weekend. You too. Uh, That'll start to wrap us up this hour. Obviously, always available wherever you get your podcasts. And this hour has been the Sports Drive, brought to you by Calgary Lock and Safe. This Christmas, give the gift of security with smart locks and safes. Visit calgarylockandsafe.com.